Hello, everybody, and welcome to this fourth installment of the TSD podcast. Today, I have here with me a special guest. Uh, his name is Vince Dow, and he has an Instagram page where he posts political monologues. How are you? Hi, Anish. How are you doing? I'm great. What about you? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, I understand that you have uh, quite an interest in politics. So where do you think that started? Like, how, how did you get so interested in politics? What made you want to start a page expressing your views? Well, you know, I've been in, involved in, you know, following politics for a long time. But what really made me want to, you know, start this page was because, you know, I go to school in Los Angeles. It's, it's one of the bluest cities in this country, right? Right, right. Um, it, it really, it, it pains me to see my whole generation just turning so far left. And I, I really, I, you, you see figures in our generation like, you know, David Hogg, Emma Gonzalez. And it gives you the perception that we're just a far left generation. But in reality, that's not the truth. And I wanted to speak for those who, you know, the media has forgotten. Right. Yeah. I, so were you always um, right wing or Republican or d did you have sort of like an epiphany or did you change your views at some point? Well, really, I actually come from really far left, actually, I, in when, when the, you know, when the 2016 election first started, I, I supported Bernie Sanders. I was a total, I was a total damn socialist. What, what really, what really changed my mind was, you know, having, being young, you know, you don't really see the world. You just kind of, you see the ideology, but you don't see how it plays out in the world. You know, like as, right, as, yeah. as being young, you don't really notice that. But what really changed for me is because, you know, I, I really do love this country and bottom line, left or right. I hope this country could succeed. You know, that that's always been the way yeah. I thought. When when I see Trump starting to succeed, you know, the economy is booming, jobs are coming back, you know, diplomacy. Well, finally, we're getting a fair deal from with all these other countries. Really, that yeah. started to change my mind and really think I, I stopped and thought to myself, like, you know, maybe I was on the wrong side and I was mature enough to admit I was on the wrong side. Right. Yeah, it's 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 actually similar to what happened with me, actually, because um in the 2016 election, I, I've been in uh, international schools pretty much my entire life. I've been moving mm -hmm. around to, from different countries. And uh, I'm sure you must know the international schools are quite uh, left. So my general surroundings were completely full of leftist culture. And even my family, although they aren't leftist and they are sort of center of right, uh, they were anti-Trump and all of these things. So my surroundings made me made me believe in certain ideologies when I didn't really understand them completely once mm -hmm. I started doing research for myself. And yes, it was mainly the 2016 election that provoked that. Once I started doing research for myself, uh, watching political commentaries, I realized that my ideologies actually line up more with the right. So my political views were left, but my actual values were right wing. And that's something I didn't realize until later on when I actually did the research for myself. So uh, have you have you been living in the U.S. for your entire life? Yeah, I was born and raised in Los Angeles County all my life. Okay. Oh, so uh, you, you have U.S. citizenship. Yeah, I'm a U.S. citizen. And uh, your uh, first generation, or your parents also have a citizenship? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. Well, I'm first. My from my mom's side, I'm first generation. My dad is a citizen, but okay. my mom, my family came here from the Vietnam War. My mom's side. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. right. So, where would you say you land on the political spectrum, uh, as in right, authoritarian, libertarian, or left? Like, where would you land? I understand that you seem to be uh, quite right wing, but. Uh, especially with regards to the authoritarian and libertarian scale, where would you think you associate with more? I would say I fall more on the libertarian scale. You know, like to my core, the one of the big reasons I became conservative is because when I when I grow old, get older, you know, 
I don't, I don't feel like the government should have the right to, you know, tax needlessly. And I really think, you know, personal freedoms are really important. Right. So I would say I fall really far on the, you know, the libertarian scale. I think people should be left to, you know, do, do what they want to do without government interference. That, that's really one of my core beliefs. Right. Yeah. When we talk about the political spectrum, really, is that the left and the right, although uh, the left and the right, you can be both left wing authoritarian, left wing libertarian, right wing authoritarian or right wing libertarian. Uh, there is actually libertarian or authoritarianism implied with either ideology. Like the right wing, individualism, capitalism, all of these values, they can't function without some level of libertarianism, without some level of small government. And uh, left-wing ideas such as socialism can't function without some level of authoritarianism or bigger government. And so, yeah, so I find the people who consider themselves right but actually quite authoritarian, quite hypocritical because, uh, or simply just confused because of the fact that their ideologies, actually, their foundational values, even if their political views may be different, their foundational values are very similar to that of communists and socialists. Because fascism, if we think about it really, is their main ideology is almost the exact same as the communist. The only difference is that there's a sense of extreme nationalism associated with it. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, um, really, you know, we see, well, Nazism is, it's not true fascism, but you really look at Nazism, not the, the, the full name of the Nazi party was what the national socialist German workers German party. Workers right? party yeah. Um, and the, if you look at the, you know, the original, the 25 points of Nazism, a lot of them include things like, you know, the, the nationalization of the country's industry, you know, right, it's yeah. like a lot of really social, really socialist beliefs. And that's why when people call Trump a Nazi, it's, it's really inaccurate because yeah. Nazism really was an ideology of the far left. It's the furthest thing from the right because it, it was a huge, it was a, it was, it's a socialist ideology. It's socialism mixed with nationalism is essentially what it is. Yeah. Right. And, and socialism mixed with nationalism is what, um, is actually fascism because if you if you look at the um, the person who invented or pioneered fascism, uh, his name was Giovanni Gentile, if I'm not mistaken. His mentor was Karl Marx, <laughs> so mm-hmm. his ideology is very similar. The only difference is, as you mentioned, and as I think Dinesh D'Souza also explained well in his video with Prager University, is that the only difference is really the sense of nationalism. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah. When you when you think about the, the left and the Democratic Party, obviously you see a lot of flaws within the Democratic Party. Uh, what do you think about the Republican Party and its future? One of the things I say a lot is I really think the Republican Party, I mean, sorry, not the Republican, Donald Trump really brought the Republican Party into the 21st century. Because you look at the Republican Party for a long time, had the stigma of being like really old school, you know, still stuck in the 50s. You know, it, it, you had like, really hardline stances on things like, you know, legalization of marijuana, really hardly against that criminal justice right. reform, abortion, you know, but gay marriage, especially, but really Trump kind of brought the, some of the social views a little bit further left a little bit so that, you know, the Republican party doesn't seem so radical to a modern 21st century mind anymore, you know? Right. I'd actually partly disagree because there's a lot of uh, people. I, I'm sure you've heard this term, rhinos, Republicans in the yeah, rhinos. And and the and the main problem with the Republican Party was that there were so many people which were not actually following the Republican ideology, and they didn't. They wanted to be politically correct, so they didn't want to step on anybody's toes. So they didn't actually get any change done, and that's why the Republican Party wasn't very effective. It it didn't work out well for the last eight years until Trump came into office. 
I mean, yeah, I, I, when I say like, you know, bringing it for bring the Republican Party in 21st century, I'm referring more to like, you know, the really Republicans have these really strong beliefs that a lot of people disagree with on things like, like you know, gay marriage, you know, justice right. reform. And really, Trump kind of, you know, if you look at Trump, he does have some, like, he, he has said openly he believes he supports the legalization of marijuana nationally. Uh, like, Republican, he kind of brought the, he took the old school really out of the Republican Party and brought brought it into, like, a a, a prominent, you know, feasible 21st century ideology. That, that That's really what I refer to. Right, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, to an extent, I, I yeah, I do agree with that. Because uh, Trump, he is associated more with the modern right than he is with the traditional right. Mm-hmm. Me and you, being both being from Generation Z or Generation Z, as you'd call it, uh, where do you think Generation Z stands at the moment in terms of uh, their political views? And how do you think they're going to vote in uh, 2020 as that's going to be their first major election that they can actually vote in? Well, I'll tell you this, you know, it, it, what, what really worries me and why I, you know, probably why I created the page is, for a long time, Generation Z, you know, our story was kind of unwritten. A lot, we didn't really have any beliefs. But then Parkland happened, and that, that really changed everything because you had these, you had the huge March for Our Lives movement. You had David Hogg, Emma Gonzalez, you know. They're just, all of a sudden, this generation that was, you know, their story was unwritten. All of a sudden, so many of us just moved to the left, you know. Right. And it, what else worries me is that, you know, you see the censorship. First, there was the shadow banning. Now there's just the open censorship of conservatives on online. You know, yeah. especially platforms like Twitter, YouTube. You know, th- those are those are really where Generation Z, first of all, not only gets their news, but really just where they spend most of their time on. You know, is yeah. social media. And when yeah. I see the, the the banning of conservative voices and the sh- you know the shutdown of conservative voices on social media, that really does worry me because this is where Generation Z, you know. They, they, they don't a lot of us don't really care about politics, but it's a subtle indoctrination, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a subtle indoctrination of liberal views when you just you see all this pro left stuff on you know Twitter and YouTube and nothing pro right. That being yeah. said, though, our, our story is really majorly unwritten. Majority of Gen Zers, contrary to what the media might say, we're all for March for Our Lives. No, the majority of Gen Zers don't really have an opinion yet. And so right. I really hope that. In the in the coming years, there's something that there's something from the the right really does a better job. Which honestly, the left is really beating us in this field. I hope that the right really does a better job appealing to the young, to the young generation. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I I agree. I mean, there there are a lot of problems because if you if you expose people only to one ideology and not both and not let them make up their own mind, then like you said, it's it's a subtle way of indoctrinating them. Uh, but I still do have hope for our generation because more than anything else, our generation is more anti-politically correct than ever. If, if you see the tweets, memes, all of these things, our, our really culture is moving, yeah, moving away from this politically correct um, sort of, you know, these social norms where people are supposed to remain in this sort of box. And, and this applies for the uh, for the left as well because the left is really... What uh, the left is really the side that is creating these norms because they have a huge influence on our culture. So since we have all of these anti-establishment, anti, uh, anti-PC culture people on uh, in our generation, there's a lot of hope for us for us to actually vote right wing because this is still like a base level. I mean, even simple means which don't have anything to do with politics, 
uh, if they're anti-PC, it still does have an impact on the way that person's mind develops. It teaches them that they can think how they want to and that, that they have the right to their mind. So they'll start thinking for themselves and they'll start moving towards the right wing. And we've seen that happen because polls at the moment, um, Generation Z is more right wing than the baby boomers. That's what some polls say. And while there is indoctrination going on, I think that our generation is quite, you know, resilient of this indoctrination. And I have a lot of hope for the 2020 election. Yeah, you know, it's hard for me to speak, really, because I am going up in Los Angeles, where it's like the schools are so yeah. left, everything is so it's 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 really hard for me to speak for Generation Z as a whole. But I can tell you here in California, if we're not saved soon, you know, it's just going to go so far left. And there's there's really there's no coming back. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's the case, especially in urban areas in California, the, the coastal areas. Mm. Uh, it's 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 absolutely I mean, you saw the proposition to split California up into three states, right? Yeah, I, I was yeah. I was really mad the Supreme Court shut that down. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have actually been because the the more rural areas of California and California having the most electoral votes, they have a huge influence in the election. Uh, because of the fact that so many um, parts of California, the rural areas actually do support Republican candidates, but their voices aren't being heard because they're just overpowered by the by the coastal areas, which also have a lot of illegal votes go- coming in to, for Democrats. It's it's kind of a form of gerrymandering to favor the Democratic Party because there could be, if the votes were split up, Republicans would get like 20 more electoral votes right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go to like Riverside, Fresno, um, Simi Valley especially, it, 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 it feels like you're in a different state because it, it feels like you're almost like you're in a Texas or Arizona because right. it, it, it's... You see people openly wearing Trump shirts, you know, campaigning for, I don't know if you know who Travis Allen is. Not sure. He was the, uh, he ended up losing, but he was a Republican candidate for California. He, he was, he was really far right wing, but, hmm, what's that? For governor? For governor, yeah. Okay. But really, it's like, it's like you're in a whole different country out there, you know? Right. Compared to LA County, San Francisco, but, I mean, I agree yeah. with you. It's, it, it, it's a form of gerrymandering. Yeah. So where do you originally come from? I'm I'm uh, I'm three quarters Vietnamese, one quarter Italian. Um, my, okay. both both sides of my Vietnamese family, we came here, f- came here after the Vietnam War. Both my mom, well, both the Vietnamese side, you know, both Vietnamese sides, we came here after the Vietnam War. Uh, my Italian side, I, I'm not really sure the story. I think we came here in like the 20s, and I, yeah, I, I think we came here in the 20s, and you know, fought in World War II. We're part of the Greatest Generation, but yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So. Um, being, you know, not 100% um, American or um, not 100%, you know, we, we talk about these other um, people in America who are generally considered uh, the Americans, which is ma- mainly the population the from Europe. Yeah, the whites. Yeah. Uh, so being, I guess you could say, uh, a minority, what are your thoughts on identity politics and the way that the left ascribes certain politics to certain races and expects them to remain in that box well first of all i I absolutely cannot stand identity politics because i I, especially when people say things like you know as a woman i feel this way as a you know as a black person i feel this way as an asian person i feel this way really i think the way you should be saying is as an american i feel this way you know or as a person i feel this way i can't stand when the left you know breaks us up into it really segregates us in the groups and tells us that because we're part of this group we have to think a certain way that's yeah you know that's that's bullshit, straight up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree completely. Uh, and and the, it's also that 
people's um, opinions are given less value if they're um, if they're if they're based on an ethnic group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and if their if their d- demographic doesn't directly relate to an issue, when it actually really does, because their society's issues. When you talk about feminist issues that people bring up, they say, "Okay, you can't talk about these because you're not a woman." That's quite a ridiculous argument. Oh yeah, because I mean, what I always tell those people is. We're, we're all one in society. You know, we're all Americans. So to, to say that you can't talk about a certain issue in America, even though you're an American, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's just a way of the left to, uh, it's just a, what you call it, a tactic for the left to make sure that their ideology isn't challenged to the extent that it could be. But I mean, you there's a lot of, you look at like the black uh, approval rating among Trump going way up. There's a lot of yeah. people really waking up to that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and realizing sure. that the, the just because the left says they're with you doesn't you have to really look you know by, at the issues not at just the identities. Yeah, and and the left, uh, especially for blacks, they have this way of appealing to them, which is the same way that socialists appeal to youth, and it's that uh, that that their offering of the welfare state, the offering of free products, the offering of support from the government, when that actually hurts the black community more than anything else because it creates a dependent population, uh, so. That's I think that's one of their tactics to keep black people sort of mentally enslaved, and w- like when you see you saw when Kanye, for example, when he stepped out of that box, he faced a lot of backlash. And although Kanye isn't the best representation of Trump's views, uh, it's I still appreciate his ability to think think freely and step out of this box and you know come out have the bravery because it can often damage your career a lot to to support people uh, to support republicans to support right-wingers especially to support trump but it's it's ironic because if you look at any democratic run city major city any of them you right, will yeah. find you will find a huge population a, a huge ghetto a segregated ghetto of you know of blacks or latinos extreme poverty extreme homelessness extreme crime yeah. and really if the yeah. democrats are so you know, about helping minorities, then why does that exist in so many democratic cities, but not that many, you know, Republican run cities? It, it's quite simple. It, it's the, the left intentionally wants to keep minorities down, but you know, they, they, they tell them it's, it's only, it's almost Orwellian in a way because they, they tell them they, they keep them so oppressed and so held down, but they tell them we're with you guys, you know, guys yeah. come vote for us. We'll kick you out, but they never have gotten them out. Yeah, they, they pose as these sort of compassionate people that are the friends of the minorities, but really they're not. They're really keeping them down. Whether I think some of them are doing it intentionally, some of them are just unaware of the situation, but there are definitely people within the Democratic Party which are doing it intentionally. So uh, you, you talked about social media censorship and how it's happening at in a more in a more open manner and how it's happening at a larger scale currently. So that really relates back to the Alex Jones issue that has been going on recently. So um, what do you think about that? Because there are a lot of counter arguments to this, even within the right, which I find quite fallacious and quite ridiculous. And I've, I'm, I'm, I've debunked that in my other podcast, but I'm willing to talk about it with you as well. So what do you think about this, ish, uh, about this uh, situation? So, okay, first of all, I, I do understand the argument that it's a private company and they can do what they want, okay? But here, here's the thing: is that when you sign up for YouTube, there, there's a you know there's a terms of service, and, and if if a YouTube is going to ban a user for a reason, you have to you first of all like these these sites have they, they've said that if it's hate speech or it's violent speech or whatever, right? 
But they have not actually cited the cases in which Alex Jones, you know, engaged in he really violated terms of services. Yeah. And the, that that go ahead. Right. Um so the thing is the private company argument is is quite uh it's quite ignorant because the thing is that Facebook, Twitter, all of these platforms, they claim to be open platforms of all ideas. They claim to be, um, you know, places for free speech, and they claim that they only, quote-unquote, censor hate speech, which there is no real definition of. It's really just what the left doesn't like. But they they claim to be open platforms, and when they've testified in front of uh, Congress, for example, when Ted Cruz challenged them on this, they said that they do not do any sort of political censorships, but, I mean... They clearly they, they, do. They clearly yeah. do, exactly. And the thing is, if they wanted to be a First Amendment speaker, if they wanted to engage in political speech as a platform as a whole, they could do that, but then they would have to establish that because then they have different regulations. And although I don't completely agree with the fact that they have regulations, they're just doing this to attempt to skirt these re- regulations so they, that, that they don't have to actually follow them. I mean, really, the, what these platforms in Silicon Valley really should just come out and tell the truth, which is that yeah, they don't don't mislead people into thinking we're a free speech platform. Just straight up come out and say it. If you have a right wing opinion on this website, you will be shadow banned and most likely just straight up regularly banned. Yeah, I mean that would hurt their business a lot, but I mean at least it would be more honest. It, it's it's misleading your customers, you know, because yeah. you, you you act like you're a an open platform, but really you're not, and you should just. If you're, you're going to do that, that's fine, but you should admit that. Yeah, and the other problem is that there are such huge platforms and they have such huge uh, influences on people, such a lot of power over elections even. And with such great power, they have a certain level of responsibility. And if they're going to engage in political speech and especially be like very you know, shady about it. It's, we talk, they, we hear the Democrats talking about collusion and interference in the election. I mean, this is one of the worst ways to uh, interfere in the election. Yeah. I mean, they they talk about, they talk about, you know, the Russians meddling on Facebook, which at first of all, I don't even understand how it's possible. I still don't understand how it's possible. But if you want to talk about, you know, what basically their argument is that these, these ads created bias in Facebook users and somehow that, you know, influenced the election. Well, your platform is also creating a bias in your users when you ban exactly. and, you know, keep conservative speakers out of your out out of their feeds. That also right. that's creates a much larger bias and it's a subtle and much longer indoctrination than say one ad paid for by some Russian hacker in his basement, okay? Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's it's pretty ridiculous. So that's that's the thing because when when people make that argument they, they forget the big responsibility that the company holds. And although they do, they can do it technically, uh, they have the right to do it if they do come out and say that, okay, we want to engage in, for, engage in political speech, political rhetoric, then at least it'll be more clear to, um, to the people on that platform. And then they won't actually be creating a bias. But because so many people rely on these networks as a news source, that they rely on this network as just a place to stay updated. If they're going to get biased forms of being updated then they're going to have inherent biases and that's going to interfere how the course of our election keep it an open platform and if they have an open platform that they can engage in debates and discussions uh, people within that platform and then people can actually make uh, decisions by themselves and then this is the way that social media can be helpful and it can actually help people be more informed about issues before they before they decide to make a decision 
But if, if they're going to only show them one side of the issue, it's not making them informed. It's really just brainwashing them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Right. So the, the, there's another um, another thing that's been very popular over the last couple of weeks, and that is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez oh. and her quote-unquote grassroots movement of quote-unquote democratic socialism. So what do you th- what do you think about her? Because she, to me, she's just kind of funny. I mean, her lack of basic understanding of economics baffles me, especially since she has a bachelor's in, in economics. Well, I, I like to first give a shout out to the uh, to the democratic socialists. I'm in a comment section war beef with. It's, <laughs> we, I've been in this, you know, a long standing beef with the democratic socialists. But anyways, about Cortez. First of all, I, I, I still don't think she'll even win the, the general election because it, from my understanding, Joel Crowley's name is still on the ballot, correct? Yeah. I, I still don't think she'll win the general election just because, you know, she only I think she only won the primary because no one showed up to vote. But um, more about Cortez. The, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the product of what happens when you follow occupied Democrats and you see <laughs> things like, oh, progressives, progressives need to get into, con- get into you know, political power and you, progressives need to build grassroots movements and go run. And then someone actually does it. You know, someone yeah. just following their Facebook feed actually goes out and does it. I, that, that's really the product of what happens with Alexander Kelly Cortez. Right. She clearly has no, you know, basic understanding of politics or economics, economics. which is evident by every single interview she's been in. She, she, she has no idea what she's talking about, you know. Right, yeah. And, th- th- there were a few um, <laughs> quotes that I'd like to draw attention to that just made me sit down and laugh because I, I just don't be- don't know how so many hundreds of thousands of people could follow somebody who clearly misinforms people and cites wrong statistics that aren't even true. She herself doesn't understand the basic the basic foundations of economics, and and that's what makes her flock towards democratic so- socialism. So there was a quote that she said. Um, Unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's no, but it's funny, doesn't she? she I, I, if I'm not mistaken, she has a degree in was it finance? She has a de- degree in economics. Economics. <laughs> yeah, she, she she doesn't know how unemployment works. Unemployment is not the number of unfilled jobs. It's it's basically how how what percent of the population or what a percent of the workforce is employed and what percent is unemployed. So if people had two jobs, which they don't, which is also proven to be wrong, even if they did, that wouldn't have any impact on the unemployment rate. That's a ridiculous argument. That's just a way to discredit Trump's presidency. Well, of course, not only that, um, her, her comments about the supposed Israeli occupation of Palestine, this, this is really the reason why I say I truly do believe that she just swallowed occupied Democrats and was just like, huh, maybe I should actually run for Congress. Because you, you, she was asked about the uh, the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Well, she was talking, first of all, it's not like she was randomly asked about it. Okay, she, she was talking about right. it. And then, um, what's her name? Margaret Hoover asked her to, you know, can, can you clarify? And she's like, uh, well, you know, I don't think I'm really the expert on the issue. <laughs> yeah. So even even in interviews, even when she's not being challenged by, by these people who are literally just calling them on to basically buff her up, these people uh, aren't even challenging her ideologies. They aren't even asking her any challenging questions. Even so, you can see she can't even speak clearly. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Th- that's what that's- I was about to say. In, in these interviews, really, you know, you know the, it's – 
I don't know if you ever seen the interviews with like David Hogg, like when 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 News Station interview a kid, and and, and they 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 kind of they go easy on them. They don't really try to drill them. Right. Th- that's the same level of questions that she has been asked, and she she, yeah. she lacks the ability to even defend herself on that. The, the, the most drilling question she was asked is how she's going to pay for her her plan to make Medicare free for all, which is <laughs> impossible. Uh, and and she didn't even answer that properly. Uh, like she also talked about. Um, there's another quote. She said that 200 million people earn less than 10 million. Uh, sorry, 10 thousand dollars, which is approximately 40 percent of the country. <laughs> According to her, that means that. 500 million people live in the US when the population is actually 325 million. And also, it's not 200 million, it's 60 million as of 2016. And that has obviously changed because of the Trump presidency. And 59 million, that's what 36% of workers and not even the country, it's only 18% of the country. There are so many examples of her pointing or citing wrong statistics and the interviewer is not calling her out on it. So that's why she's scared of going to debating people like Ben Shapiro and then she just dismisses him as a as a sexist or as a catcaller or a person with bad intentions <laughs> when he politely asks for a debate because he, she knows she's scared. She, she knows she's going to get wrecked. It's not catcalling asking for discussion. It's something that is, it, you warrant that request when you run for such a position. It's necessary to engage, to exchange in ideas. This is what how our dem- democracy functions. And so calling a man who is intelligent and who's just asking you to debate uh, a person with bad intentions just because he's asked you to discuss with him is just pathetic. It just shows how how weak you are. Well, you know, Candace Owens called her out for a debate too. So I'd like to try to see her play the sex or racist card there. <laughs> right. And, 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 then, and then she says that Republicans are afraid to debate her. <laughs> yeah, she, she did. She said Republicans are afraid to debate her. And then when challenged by, when challenged by a conservative to come on for a debate, she's like, oh, no, they're catcalling me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely pathetic. I mean, so um, anyway, it's been what, 30 minutes? That's the usual cap for my podcast. Um, so I think we should wrap it up now. Uh, so it's been great talking to you. To anyone who's listening to the podcast, uh, this has been Anish Satputa, your host at TSD Podcast. And with me joined today was uh, Vince Dow, who hosts an Instagram page called Dow's Day, if I'm not mistaken. That's D- yeah, Dow's.Day. Um, if you guys ever you know, feel like Generation Z is not speaking for you, just come to my page. Right. Yeah. So um, we have, we've been the voice of Generation Z, uh, the silent majority. Uh, Thank you for listening to this podcast, and until next time, I've been your host, Anis Satpute, and this is the sign of the dollar.